All right, Christ Community Church, this morning we're going to be talking about wise friendship. And so we will be in uh, Proverbs 17, 17, and then Proverbs 27, 5, and 6, and then 27, 17. So the key truth that I want us to walk away with uh, this morning is that wise friendship helps us flourish in the shifting sands of a fallen world by encouraging our love for both God and our neighbors as ourselves. Let me read that again. Wise friendship helps us flourish in the shifting sands of a fallen world by encouraging our love for both God and our neighbors as ourselves. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, we'll begin in Proverbs 17, 17. Hear the word of the Lord. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 27, 5 and 6 reads this way. Better is, an, is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now again, as we have done throughout this series, we want to take a moment to, to look at and consider the person and work of Christ as he serves as a wise friend. And so our question is, how does Jesus serve us as our wisest friend? And the, one of the best examples that we could look at is his particular relationship with Peter. Notice all of the different uh, seasons in which Christ serves Peter. Very early on, after he had called him, Peter's wife falls ill. And as an act of wise friendship, he uh, pursues her healing uh, for Peter's good. He cared about Peter's family, cared about what was going on in Peter's life. And notice even when he had to deal with him sharply, when Peter is bold at the top of his lungs, wrong at the top of his lungs, that he would, would protect Jesus and that Jesus wouldn't die. And that even if everybody else fell away, he would stay firm. Some of the harshest words I think that Jesus has spoken in all of Scripture. He said, get behind me, Satan. And while that's a strong rebuke, Jesus did not love him. He could have left him there in another circumstance when it's, he had a hard word to say to him. In another fashion, he said, Satan has called for you to sift you like wheat. But notice what Jesus does as a wise friend. He prays for Peter. He says, I pray. I will pray that your faith will hold, and when you return, strengthen the brothers. He encouraged him, prayed for him. He had sharp words for him. And even in what would have been the most adverse moment in any friendship that would have tested it and broken most, when Peter denies Jesus as Jesus can see him, and he can see Jesus, and, and Peter essentially ignores his words, his warning to him about denying him before the cock would crow, Fortunately, Peter's heart broke when the cock did crow, realizing what he had done. And again, that would have severed most friendships, that denial. And yet, when Jesus rises from the dead and encounters Peter, one of the things that he does is very specifically and focally, lovingly restore him. Remember that he says to him three times for each of the denials, do you love me? And he gives him instruction about how things will go. So what a wonderful picture we have of uh, the diversities of the seasons of friendship just in looking at how Jesus loved Peter. The good news is he loves us in the same way. Uh, he will not leave or forsake us. He intercedes for us. He calls for the Spirit to convict us. He's, he uses his, his word 
God's word to re rebuke us, to reprove us. Uh, one of the things that we have has been our, our response to the assurance of pardon, that the word would shape us. Christ does that for us because he loves us. And then even when we fail to make use of the means of grace, and even when we really in some measure deny him in a variety of ways, he continues to remind us and call us to remember his love for us and how we are called to love him in loving God and loving our neighbor. What a gift Jesus is to us as a friend and an example. Listen to what Raymond Ortland says about this. He says it of the whole Trinity, actually. He says, God is our friend through Christ. In fact, friendship began with God. It's who God is, Father, Son, and Spirit, in eternal, powerful interactions of love. The heart of God is friendship reaching out. And being that it is God's idea and it originates with God, it is He who defines what it ought to look like. And we have the benefit of there are many passages actually in Proverbs that we could have chose from to help uh, form a philosophy of ministry of friendship for us. Uh, but the ones that we're going to look at will help give us some banks of the river to at least begin this conversation and have some ways in which to think it through and to, to, to consider our present friendships and how we're serving one another as a church. Let's look at Proverbs 17, 17. This is a friend who loves at all, time and a, all times and a brother who is born for adversity. Now notice the language that the teacher uses. Um, this means uh, that a friend who loves at all times means that their friendship is based on something deeper than the circumstantial or the contextual. What a gift that is when we know that our friendships are not founded on anything flimsy, not founded on anything temporary. The implication here is that it is founded on something covenantal, that there's a, a deeper commitment, a, a deeper um, uh, foundation formed for this friendship than just uh, any of the circumstances. Now, consider how many friendships have you had that when the circumstances changed, when the context changed, when it wasn't as easy to remain friends, those friendships tend to drift away. That's common. We, we experience that. We're guilty of that ourselves. However, biblical friendship ought to be founded on something firmer. And many of us have friendships where you don't talk for a while, but you can always pick right back up where you were. That's evidence of that covenant relationship. Again, maybe because of distance, maybe because of time zone, maybe because of life circumstance that you're not as close as you once were, but it doesn't mean that you're not still friends. And that's important for us to remember. But what we want to be and what we want to have are the kind of friendships that are rooted in a deeper commitment. So for us, that commitment is in Christ. It is Christ that brings us together. In our union with Him, He grants us communion with one another. And that should have a shape and a form that looks more like Jesus than it does in the world. Now consider what uh, sometimes challenges this. It's frequently something we've talked about previously in this series. It's selfish ambitions and, and bitter jealousies. It's pride, oftentimes, that, that drives a wedge between us and those we call our friends, or our friends and us. And so, if we are active in mortifying those things, one of the areas that we want to take into consideration is, how are we, how are we doing those things and affecting our friendships? And how might we, in mortifying those things, and growing in humility, as we're called to do, and learning how to better listen to one another, 
and speak words fitly spoken wisely in due season, how might that help us uh, be not just a fair weather friend, but as we're going to hear in just a moment, a foul weather friend. Now notice how the, the teacher takes it even a bit deeper. And he uses this language of family. He says, and a brother is born for adversity. So what he's saying here is it's that it's in those times of suffering that you really find out who your friends really are. This, this is actually a, a worldly statement that has been made many times over, right? That, that you find out the depth of your friendships. You find out who's really for you when you go through something and they remain with you. When you are at your most unlovely, do they still love you? And if the world gets that, how much more ought we, the church, be willing to serve each other as if we were flesh and blood family, as brothers and sisters? And see, this is the importance of suffering. This is the importance of adversity because of, of how it shapes things. The New Testament is filled with passages in Romans and James and First and Second Peter and many other places that talk about the formative nature of suffering and how it shapes our character. Well, what's the point of shaping character if, it's not, uh, if that's not then played out in community? What good is character for you just in your prayer closet? And so this, this is speaking to a communal reality that is, that is critical, that adversity actually helps form family. And so we as a church, we want to recognize the opportunities that adversity give us. Are we not in a time of adversity? How has this circumstance affected your view of those for whom you go to church with, those you've called friends. We've discovered some pretty interesting views and thoughts that our friends have, and our friends have discovered some interesting views and thoughts that we've had. Did it evidence that our friendships are actually built on something flimsy, something not forgiving, something not willing to come to each other when there's something going on, uh, something when someone's struggling, that our first move is to tell them, well, you fool, you shouldn't even be struggling, instead of first caring that they're struggling, and then through listening and wise speaking words fitly spoken in due season, then we, that we could humbly help them through that season of adversity for whatever reason it may have come. And so, this is uh, one of the critical aspects of church. We don't talk about it probably near enough. Friendship is one of those things that's a, it's a strange discussion in our highly individualistic culture. Uh, we, we don't think we need each other. We don't, we don't think that, that we actually, we don't want to have to pay the price or go through all the, the process of building friendships. Just trying to build friendships is oftentimes an act of suffering. It is hard work and we're sinners and we're going to fail each other and we're going to misunderstand each other and we're going to, we're going to be talking past each other and we're going to forget each other's birthdays and, and we're going to make a mess of things at times. But what a gift it is to see that even with all of those challenges that someone is willing to say, you are my friend and I am for you and I will fight for you and I will also fight uh, for you as it, as it, and it'll look like I'm fighting against you, especially if you find yourself in sin and brokenness and, and you are departing from love of God and love of neighbor in a biblical fashion. What a gift that would be to us to have a church full of folks who are willing to do that for each other. Listen to what David Allen Hubbard says about this passage. He says, at all times, admits no exceptions, no mitigating circumstances. 
the parallel line is synonymous and seconds the proposition stated in the first line by an even more dramatic affirmation. A brother, whether by blood or covenant, knows that the very reason for his life is born for is to stand by a friend and help him in difficulty and hardship. Foul-weather friends are the only ones worth having. More important to the point of the proverb, they are the only ones worth being. The text is not about gaining a stalwart friend. It's about being one. So here's my question for us. And these are questions we need to take some time to meditate on and think about. Are you the type of friend who loves at all times? See, the hard part about answering this question just yourself is that, like a lot of things, uh, we, we tend to be more generous and gracious to ourselves than probably is actually warranted. So this is the kind of question you might want to ask some of those that you are closest to, some people you've had some time in with, some people who've seen you not at your best and sometimes at your worst and even sometimes at your best. And so uh, if you have the courage, and you should because you're forgiven in Christ, you, you ought to ask this question, are you this type of friend? And then are you prepared to serve your friends as family amidst whatever adversity may be, befall them regardless of the source? Notice again how, how gentle Jesus was to Peter, how, how uh, um, committed to Peter's redemption Jesus was. Why keep messing with this guy? He seems to not even get it. Even after Jesus is gone, Paul has to tune him up at a local barbecue with a bunch of Gentiles because Jews uh, that he knew came up. He, Peter was the guy who had the vision in Acts chapter 10 that you can eat of all the good of the earth. And how quickly he dabbed off that barbecue sauce and took off running because he was afraid of man. Even still, even after all he had seen. Why? Why would Jesus, why would he keep trying to be a friend to this guy? Well, because he loved him and he understood the power of wise friendship. And we too are called to do the same. Yes, we are to deal with people's folly. We're going to get to that in just a moment in this next set of verses. But too often we're judging people for getting themselves into trouble before we love them enough to try to help get them out of that trouble uh, in, in, in ways that actually could be redemptive and reconciliatory. All right, let's turn back to the text and look at Proverbs 27, 5 and 6, and then verse 17 as we look at the healing and edifying words as faithful wounds from a friend. <laughs> the teacher says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Essentially, what he's saying there is you to not actually rebuke when you know somebody's got something wrong. And, and again, we've got to be careful here. Is this, are we to rebuke every jot and tittle? Would, you, would that be a friendship you would enjoy, that it's all critique and no edification, that you're being just put under a microscope? No, we're not, we're not talking about being jot and tittle. We're talking about being loved well on things that matter. And so what he's saying here is that when we fail uh, to actually take the chance to, to challenge someone with their unbiblical circumstance or, or unbiblical ideas or failing to love God and failing to love neighbor, it essentially is hidden love, which is of no use to anybody. What, what good is hidden love unacted upon? Something that's just in your heart, just in your mind, but not actually put up forth into the world. 
And so he makes it very clear here that this is one of the critical ways in which we, we must love each other. He even goes further. He says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Think about that for a moment. Do you have the humility to receive from your friends uh, open rebuke, to, to, to be wounded by them when they say, hey, I, I, don't, I don't think what you did was right, or hey, I, I don't think the way you're talking to your family is right, or hey, I, the way you're kind of uh, thinking about these things in church, or thinking about things in the world, something is wrong. How are you doing? Consider how we go about that, how we must approach with humility, make sure we're hearing what we're hearing, and then prayerfully consider what wise words could be offered in this moment, because as this is stating, it, it's, it's, there are risks. We are going to wound each other, but it's better that we wound each other in faithfulness so that Christ can heal it for the purpose of reconciliation than for us to essentially be, as the teacher says here, an enemy. We actually serve each other as enemies when we let our selfish ambitions and bitter jealousies only cause us to kiss each other, right, and, and, and puff each other up and not take and risk the friendship for, for the good of the other person's soul, especially when we see things that, that we know something is wrong uh, too many times. You hear after the fact, yeah, I knew something was wrong, but I just didn't say anything. Well, what, what kind of friendship do you actually have if you are unwilling to lovingly rebuke as we are called to be vessels of God's discipline toward one another. And again, it's, it's, so much of it's the how. It should be done in a non-anxious way. It should be done prayerfully. It should be done carefully. It should be done in due season. Yes, all that takes effort. All that takes time. All that takes um, the, the courage and willingness to love each other well, to hear each other out, and even love each other well when somebody's got something wrong, even if they confront you. And it turns out that what they're confronting you with wasn't actually uh, what was really going on. Still, what a beloved thing that somebody loved you enough to care for you, to bring something to your attention so that you could possibly be restored, that you could possibly pursue life more abundant in union with Christ. And one of the things we have to recognize is this takes a, a confession and a recognition that we are limited. You can't, you cannot live the Christian life in isolation as an individual. You cannot. It is designed for community, right? Because we all see through a glass darkly. And some of us see certain parts darker than others because of the way we're wired, because of life experience, because of our baggage. Not to mention, no single one of us has the full cadre of the gifts of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, which is why... Uh, in the beginning, from the very beginning, it was, it was both Adam and Eve together that displayed the fullness of God, not in singularity. See, to fully display the, the complexity of God's character in this world, it takes more than one person. And that is repeated all throughout Scripture. Think about uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and the whole discussion of how there are different parts of the body. And how we are, are, are lesser for not having full access to all the different gifts. Consider just in your own heart how there's a, often a predilection either toward grace or toward justice. Or that can even be circumstantial. We kind of flip that around. Uh, think about how there's just things that some of us care about and others don't. Or some of us are focused on and others aren't. But there's a, a real importance to making sure that we are engaging in the whole counsel of God. 
You can't do that as an individual because you can't see it all. We desperately need each other. And so in order to be able to even do this for each other and to respect this, we have to recognize our own limitations. And we have to confess that we are still sinners becoming saints, right? We are glorified. We will be glorified in Christ. Our life is hidden on high, but we're not yet perfected. It's still a mess in, in a sense. We're still in the process of becoming. And you can't do that by yourself. You could never be honest enough with yourself. You can't see when you need rebuke, when your tone, uh, you're not going to catch it all the time. When your body language, when your attitude, when your silence is actually serving as uh, uh, something sinful. So we desperately need each other in this regard and should long for this. We should serve each other in this way. And yes, it's going to be messy. And yes, we're probably not good at it. So we got to confess, maybe we're starting out in a more immature state than we would prefer. But the only way to mature is to start, is to actually seek to practice these things and to serve each other in, in critical ways. And I use critical in the best sense of that word so that we might grow um, and, and serve each other. As the next passage tells us in verse 17, that, that iron must sharpen iron. Again, this speaks to the communal nature of the Christian life. We can't do this. We can't grow further into the image of Christ without wise friends because it takes one to sharpen another. And too often, it's, it, we, we choose who sharpens us in some interesting ways. We actually fail to make use of many of the resources around us that could actually speak to some of the specific circumstances that we're trying to grow in or learn. We're, we're, we're just like children in a sense. I just want to learn it for myself. I don't want to be clouded by anything, but the moment you pick up someone else's words, you're no longer learning anything for yourself. And there's no way to go back all the way to the beginning of creation and start tabula rasa or fresh. None of us does. We all have been influenced, so it would be wise for us to choose our influences well and to serve each other well in this regard as friends who deeply care about each other. And so... Uh, we, this is an area where we have to remember what we've heard. We shouldn't confront each other without humility, right? If I'm going to confront you or you're going to confront me, the thing that ought to be most forward is that you love me and I love you and we care about each other. I'm not confronting out of just pure anger or irritation that, that you have inconvenienced me. No, we have to get to a place before we would approach each other with these things. Only a friend who can faithfully wound they can only do so in humility. And then we must be willing to listen. Listen in, 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 in humility, in wisdom, and seek to hear what's going on, what's underneath some of these things. Usually what you'll find is there's some idol underneath, some fear, some anxiety that, that, that is at the bottom of whatever has gone sideways requiring biblical reproof. And then... To, to be patient to speak because, again, you can be patient because you are a, a brother born for adversity. You are a friend who loves at all times. Everything is not imminent. The stakes aren't so insanely high. We need to be a people who don't quit on each other so easy because Christ didn't quit on us. He hasn't quit on us. He won't quit on us. So one of the ways we display his character in the world is to take up that same thing. Paul evidences this even in one of the harshest discipline circumstances in Corinth. You remember in 1 Corinthians 5, there were folks that they shouldn't even eat with because of the, the perversity that they were allowing to go on. 
And they were to turn them out as if turning them over to Satan. But he reminds them in 2 Corinthians 2, but, but the key is that they never don't have a token in front of them of some kind or some evidence that you love them. That is a brother born for adversity. That's this being practiced in the local church. And so we need to grow in this regard. We need to be able to speak to each other uh, in ways that actually help us to grow, which is always going to be sparks are going to fly as iron sharpens iron. I had a friend who served me in this way very early on uh, when I had become a Christian. He and I would meet on a weekly basis and just go through Scripture. Um, and he would challenge my ideas, and he would press on stuff, and he was always pushing me to be more biblical, to be more biblical, to think more biblically, which is something I seek to pass on to others in a way in which I seek to serve those who I call my friends. And, and, and so it, it's, it's important that we have people in our lives who, one, know us well enough to be able to see when we're not at our most beautiful, and two, love us enough when we are unbiblical, which means they They've got to know Scripture well enough to be able to say, hey, this, is, this doesn't seem to fit. This doesn't look like you're loving God well or loving your neighbor well, and maybe not even loving yourself well, actually. And so, uh, listen to what Matthew Henry says. I love the way he puts this so simply. He says, it is a sign that our friends are faithful indeed if, in love to our souls, they will not suffer sin upon us, nor let us alone in it. Wow. That is beautiful. And reconciliation, as I have uh, read as far as Christ's examples and the examples that have been in the world, is often insanely radical, oftentimes doesn't make sense. We've talked about this on a few different occasions, but, but imagine, if you will, you're part of that first century church that had been persecuted by Saul. You had witnessed him have men women and children executed or imprisoned and poorly treated because they were Christians. And he did so thinking he was giving service unto the Lord. We know for a fact that he held the coats to make, make possible those who would stone Stephen to death. One of the, the sweetest spirits in all of Scripture. And he stood there Seeming, as far as we can tell, if he's just holding their coats, you got to imagine he didn't have much emotion. And he watched one of God's anointed be beaten to death with rocks. And then, just a short time later, and you know all this about him, God says, hey, uh, Saul's coming to church. His name's Paul. That'd be hard enough, wouldn't it, to receive a man like that into the fellowship of the local church when you know people that have, have suffered by his hand. That'd be bad enough. But God, in the radicalness of reconciliation, says, and he's going to preach, and I need you to listen to him. He's going to plant churches, and I need you to support him. How insanely hard would that be to befriend this man who had done such horrible things in the world, your world, to people you knew, to maybe even family members. This is kind of the, this is a wonderful example of the radical reconciliation of God and, and, and that he, we would be called to be friends with such a man. 
and seek to equip him and build him up as they were called to do. And you may say, that's a one-off example. No, no, it isn't. There's many, many others in a similar vein. And so we want to be a church that longs for and serves each other first as wise friends. And then in hospitality, those who would show up in our church and become part of our fellowship, those who live in our neighborhoods, those that we would long to just see come into the kingdom, even if they don't come to our church, that we would serve each other as wise friends, just as Jesus has served us and continues to serve us in the radical reconciliation that is the gospel. Friendship is one of those places, because again, we're not blood family. This is actually a bit harder than what Matt talked about last week in some sense because there's no specific tie that binds other than Christ and location and opportunity. And so for us to covenant, to, to, to be the kind of friends that Proverbs describes, that Jesus emulates, wow, that, that takes grace. That takes mercy. That takes being filled with the Holy Spirit. That takes the fullness of the means of grace. May we not take this lightly. And so the question I have for us in this last portion, and this is, a, this is an interesting one. Uh, when's the last time you had a faithful friend confront you with your sin? And implied within that question is your recognition that you're not yet perfect. I guarantee you've sinned at some point in the last few weeks, months, or years. And I, I'm pretty sure somebody saw it. Did they love you well? Are you approachable? Is there there's some reason why they would not have come to you? It can't, maybe it's not all on them. How do you receive this kind of stuff? Do you receive it, uh, uh, as we talked about in listening, do you, do you receive these kinds of things looking first to God to find out if it's from Him? Or do you immediately decide that there's no way it could be true and that you're too good to be confronted with these kinds of things? And then, and then how did you respond to that? How do you respond to someone having the courage? Because you know, you know yourself it takes courage because we don't do much of this uh, I, I, that I'm aware of. And then when's the last time that you served a friend in this way? Much less you being confronted, and I'm sure you've seen, because none of your friends are perfect. Many of them have made sinful choices and decisions that could be devastating. And again, I understand we don't want to be be uh, nitpicking one another. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about actually having the kinds of friendships we can talk about the things of the gospel. Maybe that's one of our problems. We don't talk to each other enough about the gospel. We're not conversing enough in the story. We're talking about too many banal, temporary, or foolish things when instead we would better serve each other, helping each other see where God is being good, helping to edify and encourage each other, being able to weep with one another being able to rejoice with one another. This is what friendship should look like. And then what are the main barriers to you receiving and giving biblical rebuke in your various friendships? Again, I want to say, take heart. Don't let that question cause you to despair. Instead, use the means of grace. Trust that what Christ said is true, that he's interceding for you, that the Spirit can lead and guide where you are convicted. Be okay with being a novice at stuff. Be okay with needing to grow up into things, no matter how old you are. It takes humility to admit when, when, when we are bad at things, and we're bad at some stuff. And so this is an area where, where our church, were we to grow in these things, what a gift we would be to each other. What a blessing we would be to those who would visit our church 
How might it affect how we think about surrounding circumstances? How might it sh better shape us thinking biblically about political and social issues? How might it help shape us thinking about family and, and the brokenness of this world and what we are called to be and do? And so Proverbs 17, 17 and 27, 5 and 6 and 27, 17 teaches us that wise friendship helps us flourish in the shifting sands of a fallen world and encourages our love for God and our neighbors as ourselves. What a gift that we have Christ as a wonderful example. What a gift we have God's word to help establish the banks of the river. So let's be a church who grows in wise friendship. Join us in doing that and struggling with this and wrestling with this. Let's talk about it. If you've got some concerns or you, you're not sure, what does this even look like? Let's talk about it. Let's have a conversation that could be beneficial to us. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> thank you for how you have befriended us in and through Christ, how you continue to provide for us as both father and friend, thank you for the friendship of the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who exalts Christ to and through us. Thank you that the friendship of the Holy Spirit includes guiding us, illuminating things to us, confronting us with our sin that needs to be mortified that we participate in, showing us where we can vivify Christ in and through us. Thank you that he groans on our behalf when we don't even have words to say. Thank you for the ongoing friendship of Christ who has redeemed us, who intercedes, who calls for both angels and the Spirit to minister to us and provide what we need in order to serve him as ambassadors of reconciliation. Another way of saying that as friends of redemption. God, help us to grow in this area. We, we struggle uh, to, to love our own families to which we are, are tied to by blood. How much harder is it for us to love those for whom we have no deeper tie other than agreement, other than location, other than opportunity? Help us to remember we are family to those folks too in you. Our family is larger than we can comprehend. It's not just earthly, it's heavenly. So Lord, help us to be wise friends to one another, to, to love each other throughout all seasons and to even show the depth of our covenant commitment to each other when there is suffering and adversity, that we would actually recognize, regardless of the reason there is suffering and adversity, even if it's because of the sin of our friend or friends, that that is exactly, as Matthew Henry says, a place where we need to dwell with them and not leave them alone to bear that burden alone. Christ didn't do that to us. May we be willing to love each other with faithful wounds that, that are scriptural, biblical, clear, humble, listened to, and, and carefully, uh, words carefully stewarded in so uh, delicate and fragile a moment that we would evidence our love for each other just in our willingness to fight for and toward each other. May we protect each other in this way, protecting each other's reputations, not, 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 in ways that hide what is sinful, but instead illuminating him so that it can be healed. Help us to be friends to one another and friends to and hospitable to those who are invited into our fellowship, either our church fellowship or the kingdom fellowship, depending on, on geography and circumstance and opportunity.
God, thank you for your word. Thank you for its clarity. In Christ's name, amen.